The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well on what is now a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. We had some rain showers earlier in the day, but it is beautiful and humid outside now on this Tuesday afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on this Tuesday edition of On the Line, my second show of the day. It did Auburn Opelika this morning over on News Talk WANI earlier this morning from 6 to 9 filling in for Ben Taylor who's out under the weather so my second show of the day we are um we're running right through it here here at the station today it's a busy day busy week for for everybody here but hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday afternoon we've got a bunch to get to today uh college football reactions to all of the games in week three don't worry we're going to talk more about Auburn and Penn State and the situation around this Auburn football program later on today and in the second hour we're going to talk to Trey Wallace who covers the SEC for OutKick we talked to him last week and uh, we really enjoyed it and we hope you did as well. We're going to have him on uh, hopefully every single week on Tuesday. So uh, we've got that weekly Tuesday guest now, Trey Wallace. Again, he covers the SEC for OutKick. So that'll be in hour number two. Carter, happy Tuesday, man. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's a good day outside. It's The uh, sun looks like it might be poking out of the clouds. It was a little uh, cloudy when when I came into the station today. But, yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Just uh, another day to digest what the heck happened on Saturday. That's right. Well, to start out today, want to get into reactions to week three as a whole around college football. We didn't get a, a chance to get into some of the other games yesterday because of just giving our reactions and the callers' reactions as well to Auburn and Penn State. But we're going to get into that later on in the show. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. We'd love to hear from you. Call in. Be a part of the show. Be on the line. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. And looking around college football uh, from over the weekend, uh, again, coming into it, we knew it wasn't going to be the most exciting weekend of college football, but yet... There were still some really good games and some outcomes that maybe there were some surprising outcomes and maybe some scores that were a little bit closer than what we thought. And when you look up and down the schedule, you know, you start, if you're looking in the SEC, you have Georgia, they just, they beat the lights out of South Carolina. We figured that was going to be the case. I thought South Carolina could play a little bit closer than that. They you, obviously didn't. You so. thought it would be competitive at half. I did. And I think it was. I really did. It may have been twenty-eight nothing in the first quarter. It, it was, was twenty. It, got, it was twenty-four to nothing at halftime. Georgia was it on got top. Ugly immediately. It did. And look, 
Uh, I thought that I really did think South Carolina could keep it competitive at home against Georgia. I figured Georgia would win, uh, but not only did they win, they covered and they almost double covered. So look, Georgia, they're playing good ball, man. There's just no way around it. They are playing the best football in the country right now. Yeah, they are the the number one team for, for a reason. There's a reason why my my motto for the 2022 season is, hey, welcome to college football in 2022. Everybody's bad. Everybody's awful, except for Georgia, because Georgia is showing that they are – they may not have that down week that we saw from Alabama against Texas, that we saw from an Ohio State offense that had to grind it out against a bad Notre Dame team. Mm-hmm. I don't think this Georgia team is going to have much of an issue with its schedule. The only game that, and it's purely because of the the grind that they have leading up to it, that Kentucky game is at the end of about four, it's the fifth game, I believe, of about a five-game really tough stretch, and the hardest stretch on that Georgia schedule. And so I think that maybe that that gives them some trouble, but... I mean, other than that, I mean, I think they're going to they're gonna have their way with the SEC East. Well, what's surprising to me about Georgia through three weeks is we haven't seen that drop-off we thought we were going to see. With everybody that Georgia lost to the NFL draft, especially on the defensive side of the football, we haven't seen that drop-off yet. And Georgia has played a top-15 Oregon team, and they played South Carolina, an SEC squad. And so through three weeks, we have not seen that drop-off from the Georgia Bulldogs. And I think right now it's Georgia, then take a step down, it's Alabama, Ohio State, and then it's everybody else. And I, yeah. that was what we thought it was going to be was those three and everybody else. But through three weeks, Georgia has separated themselves. And I think it's impressive. I think that they're playing good ball. Auburn should be scared in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, well, Georgia's playing good ball. I mean, they have one of the best defenses in the country still, despite losing all that talent. And they have the best offensive player in the country. In Brock Bowers. And Stetson Bennett's playing good. I mean, he yeah. is showing why he won a national championship last year. And so there's still a long season to go, and there's still a lot to prove for Georgia, but they're playing good football right now. You look at Oklahoma, they played at Nebraska. People tried to make this into a big thing because of what it used to be. I didn't think they would win 49-14, to 14, but I did think they were going to put it on them. They did. Look, Nebraska, what do you expect? You just fired your head coach. You're playing a top-six team. What do you expect at home, right? Well, they were hoping that that Nebraska was – the issue was Scott Frost and so that they would come out with a new energy, a new focus, and perform. But it's more of the same. That that opening drive for Nebraska that, what, that Mark Whipple – he, he writes the script for. It is so good right now. He did it against Northwestern. He did it against Oklahoma. Both of them, he marched right down the field, chunk plays. Every play felt like it was going for 15 yards. And like that, out the gate, it was a touch. The Both the Oklahoma and Northwestern were down a touchdown. And then from that point on, the Nebraska offense, once it gets off script, Yep. It's not the same. It's not the same. And Oklahoma's defense is actually good with, with you know, now that they've got a guy at the helm who's a defensive-minded coach, they actually have and put some effort on the defensive side. And speaking of Oklahoma, did you see the news today uh, about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, how once the Sooners come to the SEC, they're not going to be playing Oklahoma State ever? Like, they're not going to be playing them anymore? That's going to be like Texas, Texas A&M mm-hmm. that's now coming back, but... Yeah, I mean, isn't that something? I think that's something that we've we've heard uh, Mike Gundy 
complain about in the uh, media after uh, in the aftermath of Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC. I mean, yeah, it'll be unfortunate, but I mean, because Bedlam's fun and the over hits in Bedlam <laughs> in like the first two and a half quarters every year, right. and it's always one of the weirder, crazier games. Yeah, but, I mean, and, you know, look I, at it this year. It'd be a, it's a top ten matchup if they were to play right now, and and over the past year, couple of years, I mean, it's been a top twenty five matchup most of the time when they play. Yeah. I mean, it's this is a great rivalry. You hate to see it be gone, and and. I don't know. Maybe they'll work it out way down the road where they can play a home-and-home or something like that. But, yeah, that was the news today. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State will no longer be playing each other every year uh, when Oklahoma comes to the SEC. You look around Arkansas, they struggle with Missouri State, 38-27, to and... It was not even that much. Arkansas put on some points at the end to make this thing look a little bit bigger than it was. So, look, don't want to overreact too much, but... Arkansas struggled against Missouri State. There's no other way around it. I don't think this is indicative of what this Arkansas team is going to be. I think this is this was Bobby Petrino's Super Bowl. He came in and he schemed a heck of a game. Regardless of what you think about Bobby Petrino, the person, because it's a bad person. He is not a good dude. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to get into that side he of it. He is one of the best offensive minds in Arkansas. In all of football, much less college football, so I'm not surprised that he was able to put up points. But I, I mean, watch Arkansas is going to Arkansas is going to get back on track this weekend against Texas A&M. It's not a doubt in my mind. Playing on the road at A&M, you like well, Arkansas? No, no, it's an Arlington. Oh, it, oh, it is an Arlington. That's right. It's a That's Jerry right. World. That's that, right. Because for some reason, Jerry Jones, with all his endless amounts of money and his Arkansas connections had that game moved to Arlington. Yeah, I forgot it's in Arlington. I think, it, I think it'll be a good game this weekend. We'll get into that later on. But, again, Arkansas, they, they, they squeak past Missouri State 38-27. How about this game? We didn't see this coming. Washington beats Michigan State Saturday night 39-28. to I, I believe the three of us, you, me, and Jack, all picked Michigan State. And Washington, again, this was a game where the score does not tell the story. I, Washington dominated this game. I think I may have been leaning Washington just because I like what Michael Penix is when he's healthy. Now, it was it was one of those things that when I was looking at the line, the line at one point was uh it was Michigan State, was I it believe 6. I believe or it was Washington minus 3 and at that point uh I really liked Washington and then just something about the mental uh aspect of when it went to Washington minus 3 and a half. The going above a field goal was all of a sudden I was right. I started to doubt myself for some reason. But this Washington team, talk about a bounce back. Mm -hmm. You you get rid of Jimmy Lake and that whole disaster last year. You go and find yourself a transfer quarterback, and then you turn into one of the comeback teams of the year. And you already have a top eleven win, and it's and it was impressive, dominant fashion. This Washington team, I don't think they're going to win the Pac-12, but I think that they're going to be in that top half competing more than we thought they were going to this year. I think it's a team that makes some noise out there. I absolutely agree. They're off to a hot 3-0 start. they got to play Stanford, but it's at home this week, so we'll see what Washington can do. Looking up and down, just some more reactions to uh, week three of college football again since we didn't uh, really get to it yesterday. We'd love to hear from you at 334-321-1390. Your reactions to college football in week three. Uh, who, who impressed you? Who didn't impress you from week three, whether it's in the Southeastern Conference or outside 
side of it. 334-321-1390. How about the Ducks, man? 41-20 to over BYU, a team that got embarrassed in week one. They come out with a top 25 matchup at home. They beat a top 15 team uh, by they, – they double them up, 41-20. to 20. Uh, Bo Nix has a great game. Oregon has a great game. And BYU, they finally get taken down. I still think they're a good team, but they maybe they got humbled a little bit. I mean, yes. Or we, we knew Oregon was good. We just thought BYU was great. Right. And we thought BYU was the more physical team and had the better quarterback. But when you look on, on Saturday – because this 41-20 is not, is not as close as it actually was. BYU put up 13 in the fourth quarter when the game was already out of mm-hmm. reach. But Bo Nix had the best game of his career. And it's, I mean, he had two passing touchdowns. He had three, three rushing touchdowns. Yep. He had himself a day. And he was the better of the two quarterbacks. And I'm starting to wonder, as we watch this season play out, is the Georgia game... Is it is the Georgia game in this game? Is it indicative of what we've always known—the highs and lows of Bo Nix, or was the Georgia game the last remnants of SEC Bo Nix, and this is the beginning? of Pac-12 Bonex. And is this the beginning of the story that we told at the very beginning of the year where Oregon loses to Georgia, they kind of fall back a little bit because they beat BYU, but the world didn't explode because Oregon beat BYU on Saturday. Like, everybody was like, oh, wow, that was a great win for Oregon, but yet it's not making headlines and it's not it's not all over the place so is this the start of that trail and that path that we talked about where they lose to Georgia in week one they kind of fall back and they just slowly crawl back into this thing if we are talking about them crawling back into the college football playoff picture I don't think that can happen with the way that they lost to Georgia I just I don't think the committee is going to be forgiving enough now if we're talking about climbing back into a new year new year six and the top eight yes absolutely but you can't you can't get drummed by what forty two or whatever it was in that first in that first week or and yeah it, and no it was worse than that wasn't it yeah it was but I mean at the same time though the difference in when how a team looks and how a team's playing at the end the very very end of the season versus the very beginning in week one I mean how many times have we seen an Auburn team that looks completely different week one to the last week I think you could put you could find Oregon in that category and it should it should carry and it should have weight Georgia beating them as bad as they did in week one but it is week one and I think if Oregon looks like a completely different team you've got Bo Nix who is a, a all jokes aside, is a possible dark horse for the Heisman type of performance. If he has that through this season, he continues to put up I mean, five touchdowns does, a game. That every game, and Oregon's yeah. playing well. I think they could sneak in, and it also depends on what the other conferences look like too. If the Big Twelve has no representative and the ACC doesn't have a good representative, I think you could see Oregon there at the end of the year. I I just have a hard time getting there because you're all you've also eliminated any room for error for Oregon oh, for the rest 100%. of the year with yeah. the way you hundred percent you have to win out and yep. be dominant yep. in the process in I order agree. to even be in in the discussion. I don't think we've seen enough consistency in Bo Nix's career to believe that they're going to be dominant the whole stretch of the year. But it's also Look, and you can you can, we can talk about Auburn teams. We can talk about that 2013 team. That 2013 team at least went to Baton Rouge and like put up a few touchdowns and competed. Oregon went and played a top team and didn't do that. And also, because I saw somebody mention that 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 2013 game in reference to this year's Auburn team, that game was also in like a, a hurricane, like a monsoon. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And and 
Auburn f- found its identity in that mm-hmm. second half. Oregon may have something going in the right direction, but I just I can't ignore. I don't want to put you in as the four seed against a team you lost by 42 in the first round of the college football playoff. That's fair enough. Bo Nix goes 13 of 18, 222 yards, two touchdowns through the air, three on the ground, like you mentioned. His QBR was almost 91. I mean, he had a great game against BYU. Oregon gets the win. A couple of more games before we get to our first break uh, from week three of college football. Uh, Again, I think Oregon and the BYU game was big. Texas A&M bouncing back. They beat Miami in an ugly game. It was 17-9. to They aren't good. I wasn't impressed. I mean, you win. Neither team is good. No, you win, but it's not impressive. How many yards of offense do you think A&M had after having barely not even 200 yards of offense last week against App State? I don't know their team stats. I'm about to 265 yards of offense. That's so bad. They, they, like, if (laughs) they're going to average like 100 or 220 yards of offense this year, they're going to be seven and five. Yeah, but but I think you do have to give credit for at least pulling out a victory. I mean, you at least won, right? I mean, that's a start. You did beat a top 15 Miami team, but you didn't. it didn't look pretty, but you I mean, at least did it. But there were some Mario classic Mario Cristobal, mm-hmm. like what are you doing in-game management moments. Mario Cristobal is one of the best recruiting head coaches out there. Yeah, I think he's one of the best day-to-day head coaches out there. But he is terrible in-game when having to make split-second decisions. There was like a third and goal from like the eight, and they ran it for a two-yard gain. Yeah. Down, Some down, questionable like, calls down, for sure. Down like what? I think we were down 17 to six or something, and they lined up to kick the field oh, goal. Oh, yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. It, it, That's it didn't right. do anything. Like you need to score touchdown. Right, yeah. It was, it, it made it, it took it from like a three-score game to a three-score game like it or, or something like that. Uh, there was some inexplicable inexplicable stuff like that that I just didn't understand. Yeah, Texas A&M wins, but it wasn't pretty. Uh, just looking through, again, we've been looking through some of the week three games from college football. We'd love to hear from you, 334-321-1390. We'll have the question of the day. It revolves around the SEC when we come back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn of Alaska Sports Leader. You all right over there? I'm great. Okay. <laughs> Did you hit your finger or something coming back? There's something underneath this uh, table that my I may have cut my finger on. Are you good? I'm good. Okay. All right. I told All you right. I was fine. Look, there's a. Hey, we can't afford injuries here, man. We got we got a show to do, man. We got a show to do. We got a game Friday night. I can't have you being hurt, man. I can't do that. But here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, question of the day, and it's a question, but it's also sort of a ranking type of thing. We'd love to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We're three weeks into college football. Carter, who are the top five teams in the SEC right now? Through three weeks of the season. Well, I think it's Georgia 1. I think it's... You kind of have to default Alabama 2. Mm-hmm. And then... This I is where it gets fun. I think you're Kentucky and Arkansas 3-4. And I think your 5 is Tennessee right now. I think I think your your 5 is, is Tennessee. They've, they've actually been tested. Ole Miss hasn't. I know Ole Miss is playing well. I just don't think Ole Miss is there right now. I, and until I watch them play, because I, I I tried to tell y'all on Friday that look that that's um, 
that Georgia Tech team is a little more built up after that Clemson game because the same issues that Clemson's offensive line had with Georgia Tech, they had with Furman. And if that's the case, I think that we overinflated what what Georgia Tech was and then Ole Miss proved that by beating them 42 to nothing. I don't think Ole Miss has Ole Miss has not played a team that has risen to the level that can even kind of compete with them. And in, until you reach that on, on the spectrum of how good teams are, you have to be at a certain level close to your opponent to be able to compete at all. Otherwise, it's just a bloodbath, and that's what we saw on Saturday. Ole Miss's schedule to start the season is it's a cakewalk. I mean, it is yeah. it is easy. Troy, Central Arkansas, at Georgia Tech, and now you're back home for Tulsa before you have Kentucky at home next week, which will well, be then, a great then, game. Then they go eight straight conference games because that's the way that they they set that thing up. Yeah. I mean, that's, oh yeah, that's a good point. I yeah. mean, that's that's going to be a challenge. Like yeah. they they don't they don't have a real test, and then they're going to walk into SEC play. And I know that we've moved Ole Miss up to number sixteen in the polls, but prove it to me. Right. Play, play a real team, compete with a real team, beat a good team. That's exactly before right. Before I'm going to put you in the top five of this conference. Beat Kentucky at home next week. That would be huge, yeah. right? You've got Kentucky at home, then they go to Vanderbilt. Speaking That's of fine. which, it makes no sense that that game is a is the 11 a.m. kickoff. That game is the 11 a.m. kick on And on Auburn ESPN, is 6 o'clock. And Auburn is the primetime yeah. ESPN kick. Yeah, that didn't, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. If you, in case you missed it, we're talking about Auburn kicking off uh, against LSU next week. 6 o'clock primetime on ESPN. Don't know how that worked, but here we are. Auburn plays LSU next week at 6 o'clock. So, sorry, brother. It's going to be another late night for you on after the game. But, That's uh, fun. It'll be fine. But... Ranking the SEC top five teams as of right now in week three, and I think you hit the nail on the head. I think you've got, obviously, Georgia one. They're the best team in the country, so they got to be the best team in the SEC. We talked about it in the first segment. I think Georgia's just playing better than everybody else right now, and they have proven it against good teams, uh, and they've, they've just dominated through three weeks. I think you put Alabama at two uh, just because, yeah, they struggled against Texas, but they're still a good football team, and they have a ton of talent. Now, we're not going to see them go up against another good team for a couple of weeks, but because they play at or they play home against Vanderbilt this week, so yeah, they they get Vanderbilt in that week after they get Arkansas. Yeah, which and is going to be great. One, that one is going to decide who wins the SEC West. Yeah, and I'm we, going to go ahead and call okay, my shot there. Okay, the winner of Alabama of in Alabama and Arkansas, not Alabama A and M. A and M's not that good. Um, Alabama and Arkansas, the winner of that game, wins the SEC West. And wow. right now, I think Arkansas has got a pretty decent chance at winning that one. Wow, that's bold. That's bold. But okay, I like it. I respect it, though. I think there is a lot on that game. And uh, again, we've talked to Joey Blackwell for Bama Central for two weeks now. He's told us, or even before the season, he told us that the Arkansas game that Alabama has to go to, they have to go to Fayetteville and play Arkansas he has that circled as a trap game for the Crimson Tide, so we'll see. But I've well, got just think about the Arkansas gave Alabama a lot of trouble last year, mm-hmm. and this Arkansas team appears to be just as good, if not better, and this Alabama team appears to be worse. Yeah, and well, Arkansas 
Arkansas needs a good game against Texas A&M. It's going to be tough, and that's a tough stretch to, to ask them to play A&M and then turn around and play Alabama. I know A&M is not what we thought they were, but that's still a tough task to do that. So they need a good just, game against A&M before just, they play Alabama. I don't think A&M has shown you enough on offense to think that they're going to beat that Arkansas team. I know, but what I'm saying is Arkansas can't – if you're trying to legitimately compete with Alabama next week, you cannot go in and have an absolute dogfight against Texas A&M. You need to go in and prove that you are a better team and program than them right now if you're Arkansas and get yourself mentally are. ready for Alabama. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. But I have Georgia 1. I have Alabama 2. Uh, I think when uh, you look up and down uh, just the SEC right now, I've got Kentucky at three. I think they're playing good. I think they are a legitimate threat to win the SEC East if they are able to beat Georgia at the end of the season. I have Arkansas at four, and I've got Tennessee at five. And I'll admit, through three games, Tennessee has impressed me. They really have. They've impressed me, but I've got to see it for the entire season. And I think they've got a great chance to do that over the next couple of weeks. They have Florida at home this week. They have at LSU. I think they can win both of those football games because when you look at it right now, Tennessee's playing better than both of those squads. And then you have Alabama at home October 15th. And if, as long as Tennessee handles business the next two weeks, this will be the biggest Alabama-Tennessee game we've seen in, what, a decade probably? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, this will be the biggest Alabama-Tennessee game we've seen in a long time so my top five we agree on it Georgia as of right now Georgia Alabama Kentucky Arkansas and Tennessee with those two games that Tennessee has this week and next week I think Anthony Richardson's ceiling is probably higher than Hinton Hooker but the the high level of play and consistency of Hooker you you feel that Hinton Hooker is a better quarterback than Anthony Richardson especially right now and then Hooker's absolutely better than Jaden Daniels mm-hmm. at, at LSU. That was really well. Yeah, you, that was that was really well said. The consistency is what gets me because we yes. saw Richardson ball out, but then Richardson also it was he, he was sky high yep. against Utah, yep. and then he has come back down to earth twice now. And Hooker has then. stayed right here, just just yes. level, consistent, playing good ball. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Anthony Richardson has a little bit of that up and down nature that Bo Nix had at Auburn. Hendon Hooker has a little bit of that consistently really, really good that you see on the other side of the state in Bryce Young. I mean, somebody who consistently plays well. How fortunate is Tennessee to have, L- uh, not fortunate to have LSU as their crossover, but to have an LSU team that's down as their crossover. Mm-hmm. That's big time uh, for the Volunteers. Halfway through hour number one, come in, we got some uh, Auburn football talk to get to when we come back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 30 minutes into hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you here on the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Carter, you got smoke coming out of your ears, brother. What's going on, man? You know, we were going to break. We were going to talk about Auburn coming yeah. out of this break. We've but, got a, uh, we've got a topic in mind, but uh, again, but you your face is red. You got some, smoke out I'm, of your ears. The chair's on fire. Like, but, but but what I'm looking at on Twitter right now is such a load of crap from TJ Finley that I've ever seen. Because look, we all know that Auburn's offensive line allowed 36 hurries on Saturday. Mm-hmm. 
We all know that they're not good. We all know they're playing poorly. Well, College Football Film Room tweeted out a graphic with the top, I don't know, six uh, pressure rates allowed in an individual like individual game performance by, a, by an offense. And Saturday, Auburn against Penn State is fourth on that list over the last five years in the SEC. The other games are like Auburn or Arkansas playing Auburn in 2018, Arkansas playing Missouri in 2019, Vanderbilt playing South Carolina last year, and then Auburn is fourth. TJ Finley doesn't need to do anything with this tweet. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody knows that the offensive line's not playing well. But this dude just went and retweeted it on Twitter. That's that's an interesting move. Don't sit there off fall camp and tell me what a great leader he is. Right. What a great lead. How he's leading that locker room. How he's leading that offense. How he's doing all the right things. And the first chance he gets, a little bit of frustration. He just throws the offensive line under the bus. I. It ain't nobody saying he's wrong. Right. Nobody's saying the offensive line like by retweeting this he is in the wrong. As far as the actual material of the tweet and the point he's making. Yeah. But you're the face of this team as the starting quarterback, and you're out here doing that? Maybe. You can't do that. Maybe it's a sign that he's not the face of this team anymore. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people calling for him to not be the starter anymore. Oh, so and you're so, so you're, you're saying that he got informed this week he's not the starting quarterback anymore, and he's mad, and he's retweeting this to make a point? Could be. I, I think it's it's possible, and it may maybe he hasn't if, been informed yet, but I bet he sees the writing on the wall right now. If that's the case, if if, if you're doing this, you you like don't even don't ever again tell me anything about T.J. Finley and how well he's leading this offense because he just threw his offensive line under the bus. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I agree. If that's what is happening, and we find out that that is what he was meaning behind it, whatever it may be, well, then what, yeah, what, I agree. What else, what else could there be meaning behind it? Oh, I mean, he's definitely he wants people <laughs> to see the stat. There's no doubt. That's why he retweeted it. Was it was now, uh, like yeah. like and and after the game, he was like, oh, there's too many people being disrespectful on Instagram and on this app and everything, and like keep that. Keep that energy. Social media is wild. When we turn it around, and it was we then. Right. A few days later, it's them, the offensive line. It's it's their fault. It's it's not me. I want you all to know it's not me. It's the offensive line's fault. Yeah. Well, I mean, he retweeted it to make sure people saw it. There. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So I I I don't like it, but that's that's such. It's low. So bad. It's low. And don't ever. Try to tell me that you're that you're going to lead that offense and that offensive line after doing that. Yeah, and I think again, I think it could be possibly a it could be a sign of where he maybe has seen the writing on the wall and he's seen through three games that he's thrown interceptions in every single game and that Auburn did not play well with him as the starting quarterback and maybe again maybe this is a sign of where he realizes what's happening and he just wants people to know. Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of explanations behind this, and you just never truly know what it is. But I, I agree with you. I don't think it's a great sign that he's retweeting the stat. But let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Ed, help, uh, happy Tuesday, man. How are you? Uh, happy Tuesday, guys. I, I'm doing okay. Uh, listen, I, I, you know, I think I know where uh, PK 
come up with this, uh, you know, throwing the blame, is from his head coach. After the game, Brian Harson more, more, he would ask, he would mention, you know, we've got to uh, teach him a little better. It's like the last thing. And I don't know if y'all saw this. I saw it on a uh, Tom Green writer out of AL.com. Mm-hmm. And Harson actually said he was comparing. He said, well, a lot of teams don't know exactly who their starters are, you know. But right now, uh, he said, well, there, there are a few teams. He said, but those are teams that uh, – they have guys that want to play. Okay, hmm. that was. They have guys that want to play. If that's not a slap in the face and disrespect to every guy on that team, and that's you know, how, how do you think TJ's? I mean, you're supposed to reflect your coach, aren't you? All he's yeah. done so far is deflect. You know, he has not owned up to anything, and I'm so sick of, of, of you know. And, and John Samuel Schenker, I know he's his pet, and I know he's an Auburn guy and all this, whatever, but I'm so sick of hearing him take up for Brian Harrison. I, I, I mean, it's just pathetic. But anyway, guys, War Eagles. Yeah, appreciate we, it. we appreciate the call, Ed. Look, I, I, I didn't see the quote he's talking about, so with, I, I don't want to. With Schenker? I, I didn't see or with, I didn't see the Harson quote either, but I'm not saying it didn't happen. But if he that, did say that, then yeah, that is a huge slap in there the was, face. There was something along those okay, lines yeah. in, in that presser yesterday mm-hmm. that, that I didn't love. And then there was another moment where when you sit there and listen to the whole press conference that he had yesterday. Yesterday. We played it on the show yesterday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then even after the game, there wasn't a lot of – we have to game plan better because we all can agree the game plan was bad. Yeah, no, it the game was. Game plan was very yeah, bad. It was. It was a whole lot of the players have to execute better, which to me, when you don't when you don't take the responsibility for a bad game plan, that I'm I'm like like I said yesterday, I think Brian Harson we're starting to see the cracks, the cracks in in this tough outward resolve that has been pre- presented. And this no-nonsense coach, I think we're starting to see the cracks of frustration, the cracks of pressure on him. And we saw how he interacted with the members of the media yesterday. I would view it as unprofessional, personally. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely say he's, there's no doubt he's feeling the pressure. And And you can see it and you can hear it in his voice and how how he responds and how he's carrying himself right now. It's not what you want to see. Now, granted, I get it, right? I get it. We've all been in those spots where you're not performing or something didn't go the way you thought it was and people are getting pressure and putting pressure on you and your job yeah. or your ability, whatever, right? Calling your your character or whatever. And you get frustrated. I get that. But with all the talk we had and everything we've been led to believe through the offseason, after the craziness, it was all talk about, we, uh, we, we had a huge thing about this yesterday. Just watch, right? That was the message. And yet, that's what we saw. And then this is how you come out of it. It's not a good look. I get where he's coming from, but it's not a good look. Yeah, I, I don't think that Brian Harson has done himself any favors. I, I somewhat agree with Ed there that, He's kind of trying to remove blame from from his name and put it elsewhere. But the fact that your quarterback, the guy who you picked to be your starting quarterback this year, that you said that you, by doing that, you're saying this guy gives us the best chance to win. After having a full-on quarterback battle. Is throwing the offensive line under the bus after three games. I don't care if it's true. I don't care if the offensive line played poorly. 
That does not happen. It's not what starting quarterbacks do. It's not what leaders of a football team do. I can tell you there's, that. There's there's such a thing as challenging them in the media, like we see your your NFL quarterback do to his his young receiving core every now and then. Yeah. He'll go say, hey, we have to be better. We have to be better. But retweeting stuff on Twitter about how bad the offensive line played as the quarterback? Hey, I, I, I know some of the guys on that offensive line, and... I don't see that sitting well with them, I'll be no, honest with you. It's crazy where where we are as a society where you can go as a player or as an employee or as a student, whatever it is, right? You could go to social media and you can throw shade like this and it not be it'll it'll be seen, but it doesn't be seen like you didn't have to physically say it. You didn't <laughs> even have to type it out. He hit one button to show and throw shade, and yeah, here we are. So and it, it's just it in crazy. The worst way. It's the most like like doing it face to face, something like that with your offensive line, or at least where your face is on camera or something. Right. You can at least respect that a little bit. Right. But but by retweeting it on social media, I just think that's I think that's that's a really that's a really immature way to go about it. I and think, I think yeah. and I and I don't have a lot of respect for it. And you know, by doing that, that that's all I need to know. After what I've seen through three games and and doing that, throwing your offensive line under the bus, I wish TJ Finley well wherever he ends up next year. But he's not going to be at Auburn. And again, I think this could be a this could be an act of seeing the writing on the wall and seeing what is about to happen. Because I think most Auburn fans would agree that between TJ Finley and Robbie Ashford. I think we can agree Ashford at this point probably gives Auburn a better chance to win. Maybe not by a ton, but I think he still gives Auburn the better chance to win football games. And I think, look, I mean, I think TJ, uh, the same conversation we've had for the last couple of weeks, I think he's improved in some areas, but he's still TJ Finley. I think he has reached what he is, what he is. He's not going to get any better than what we've seen. And this act of, of retweeting a graphic that, basically throws your offensive line under the bus that's not a good look and look if you want to address this with them I think that's a smart decision and I think whoever the quarterback is you need to sit them down before after during practice whatever it is and say look fellas this is what they're saying about us right now and this is how we look and this is the stats it's not good what can we do to fix it as in you the offensive line me the quarterback and maybe even bring some of the coaches in here and say what do we need to do to fix this but like you said retweeting something on twitter that throws your offensive line out to dry hangs them out to dry because they had a bad performance a historically bad performance nonetheless like you said doesn't matter if it's true or not but the fact that he did it is not good it's not a good look people are going to see that stat people people are going to see that stat it's going to circulate it doesn't need your help yeah. getting it put, getting that, it pushed around. That's exactly right. The only right. way, though, all you're doing is being immature and throwing your offensive line under the bus, which is an awful look for you if you are the starting quarterback of this Auburn team. And so let me ask you this. How does Auburn fix it? How did you fix the offensive line? Because it is still a struggle. And coming into the year, we thought, okay, and I said this, I said, it is now or never for these guys. Now, of course, Nick Brahms going out and, and, and retiring from football did not help at all, right? We've seen Tate Johnson. He, he struggled on Saturday. He did. Yeah. He, he's, he's giving There's up several, a lot of size. Several free runners right up the middle, yes. right by him, and he was barely getting hands on Exactly. Him. But coming into the season, before Nick Brahms stepped away from the game, I said, and, and most people agreed, 
it's now or never for these guys because this group has been here for three or four years now. Mm-hmm. It is now or never for this group, and it's looking like, unless they turn it around drastically, it's looking like never. And so That's fair. what do you do? I, have you watched LSU play this year all that much? Uh, I mean, a little bit. Not a ton, a little bit. Well, I think you do what they're doing, which is they know Nussmeyer can't move. So Jaden Daniels won the job because Jaden Daniels can move. Yep. And it's a little bit of backyard football back there. It's one one read, run for your life, try to pick up pick up yards with the offense. And what quarterback would do that the best for Auburn? That's what I'm saying. That's, yeah. that's, that's where I'm going with it is I, I mean, I don't think the offensive line issues itself are going to get fixed this year. I don't think it's going to get fixed. But you can you can try to game plan and use personnel around it. Right. And the way to do that to me is to put the quarterback back there that can move. Yeah, I agree. I think that um I think with the offensive line and with the quarterback situation, you can't just fall over and die because one position is not holding up their end of the deal, right? I think you've got to, just like Carter said, I think he put that really, really well, you've got to game plan around it and use the players that are around you to help you try to win football games, whatever the case may be. I, I mean, you know, I don't care if you got to run triple option with Robbie Ashford or or do whatever, like Carter said, some backyard football with one, one read, dump it, and, and just run and, and hope you pick up some yards. You got to do something. But just because that one or two position groups isn't doing what you want them to do and isn't holding up their end of, of what you thought they would be, you can't just fall over and die. You can't just say, well, offensive line isn't good. Well, uh, I guess we're the season's just going to be a, a disaster. Or the quarterback position's still up for grabs. We're not performing the way we wanted them to. I guess we're just going to lose out this season. You've got to game plan and find ways to win without, and without those performers or, or living up to those standards. you just got to find a way to do it. What's good? Our last break of this first hour. We'll head to the phone lines when we come back. Hold on. We'll get to you in just a second. 3 3 4 321-1390. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up hour number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Let's head to the phone lines real quick before we get out of here for this first hour, 334-321-1390. Ed, welcome back in. I heard you got a good question for us. Uh, uh, yes, sir. I was just wondering if uh, Demetrius Davis had, had been, you know, provided opportunities in many blowouts last year and had, you know, played – I think we would have had him right now, and I'm just wondering if y'all thought he might be the better of you know, of the and you know between Malik Willis and Joey Gatewood. We've seen a lot of players come in here and not get chances, but I just wondered if y'all thought Demetrius Davis would. What y'all thought about if he was here right now? Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate. We appreciate you calling back, Ed. No, that's a that's a really interesting conversation and a question it's because a worthy d- discussion right I, now. I think it would be because now again we don't truly know what he would have become with Auburn but I do think if he gets reps last year he's right in the mix of this thing he and at least knows he's been in the system mm-hmm. for a year he knows the offense which is why TJ Finley won the job to begin with exactly he's he's that much farther ahead of Robbie Ashford and Zach Calzado when they come in and if he has a similar skill set, obviously diff- completely different sizes physically, 
from Robbie Ashford to Demetrius Davis. But if Demetrius, if he has a similar skill set and he is a capable passer and he has the knowledge of the offense, you would think that he, w- he would have been ahead of a guy like Robbie Ashford. And could, could, have, pe- could have competed with a guy like TJ Finley yeah. from what we've seen through three games. Surely he could be at least an equal to TJ Finley. I think he saw the writing on the wall when he didn't get a snap at the bowl game. Had you had you given him because there were no reasons not to play him in that bowl game, right? I mean that the Birmingham Bowl. Let's be honest, it was a glorified spring game. It it's, was a glorified. It's the Birmingham scrimmage. Bowl. I mean, it let's was just a be real. Scrimmage. It meant a heck of a lot more to Houston than it did to Auburn. It didn't change. If Auburn had won that game by three, it wouldn't have changed based on the the way the result actually was. But I think if you give Demetrius Davis the back half of that game, the second half, and let him show you what he is. And play for your future. Yeah, I, then then I think you, like, one, he sticks around. Uh, two, with the way you've seen the quarterback room progress, I don't see any reason why somebody with his skill set couldn't at least be in the conversation. But at the same time, you got to play a little devil's advocate here. If D. Davis stuck around and you were talking about how the quarterback room progressed or lack thereof – are we confident that D. Davis would have progressed enough to be a good starting quarterback in the SEC? That's, that is a huge question mark, too, because one thing we thought we had with Brian Harson and with this coaching staff was, was uh, that they had quarterback whisperers, and they were going to develop quarterbacks. But, uh, Carter, I was saying how the play devil's advocate a little bit if D. Davis sticks around, are we confident that he would have developed into a successful SEC quarterback? Because we thought there was a chance that T.J. Finley or Zach Calzado, when he transferred in, was going to become that guy, and they haven't. So, uh, again, to kind of push back the opposite way, it would be different with D. Davis, and I think Auburn would have a good chance at him being a starter. But would he have developed in what we wanted him to be? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a worthy question, but I think that there's no reason why he couldn't be squarely in the middle of this conversation. He couldn't be right there with the top two. Couldn't be much worse, I wouldn't think. I doubt he'd be behind Zach Calzada, with apparently with where Zach Calzada's at. I just think that it was peculiar to me to not let him get a snap at any point last year. Mm-hmm. There were moments where it could have and should have happened, but you didn't allow it. Like... Game one, what when you're blowing Akron out by a million, let him get a snap. Yeah, and even if you know, like, hey, we're in the SEC, we're gonna get into the grind of the season, and we're not gonna get the chance to play him that much. We'll play him in the games where you know you're gonna win. Play him, play him in that Akron game. Play him in that cupcake game that you you generally have between Georgia and Alabama. Like. Those are opportunities. Play them in the bowl game. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I'm glad Ed called back and brought that up because I think it would have it would change everything it's, it's right an now. Interesting conversation. And to again, say the least. Yeah, it is interesting. Now, again, would he be the saving grace for Auburn? Maybe. Would he have become what Auburn wanted him to be? Maybe not. I don't know. But it definitely would change the the attitude with what we've seen right now. And to be honest with you. I don't know if TJ Finley would be your starter. I don't know if that would be the case because, again, TJ got the job because he apparently knew the offense better than the other two guys. And I I still question how much of the offense Robbie Ashford has command over right now. How how big is the playbook for Robbie Ashford compared to how big is the playbook for TJ Finley? 
And I think the situation right now, unfortunately, is there's one playbook and they're picking the guy that fits the playbook rather than picking the guy that gives them the best chance to win and adjusting the playbook to him, which I think is Robbie Ashford through three games. I just think that's kind of where we are with Auburn right now. Hour number one officially in the books. We'd love for you to join us. 334-321-1390. More college football and Auburn football talk in hour number two. ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line. You're on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika sports leader. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hope you're all doing well on this sunny and beautiful Tuesday afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area. Hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway right here on ESPN 1067. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you for the next hour of the show. If you missed any of the first hour, be sure to go and find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast. You can find it uh, there or you can find it on ESPNAU.com. Click on the podcast center and you can find it there right after the show, commercial free. So, Again, if you missed any of that, we talked uh, week three college football reactions. We talked about some Auburn football stuff. We're going to get into some more of that in the second hour. We're also going to talk to Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick. Uh, We're having him on every single week, so uh, that'll be here in the second hour. But to start out hour number two, let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. You're on the line. Who are we speaking with? Say it. Say it. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? We're doing great, man. What you got for us? Oh, man. I think, um, you know, just to touch up on the offensive line, uh, which was terrible. Yeah. Uh, Austin Troxel, you know, quite honestly, I don't like calling, you know, amateur guys out. But, I mean, it was was horrendous. Um, I don't think they can fix it. Um, I think. Uh, Missouri comes down Saturday and beat them. Now, I, I don't, you know, I'm not big on, you know, firing coaches. And, you know, I'm a firm believer of, of Harson. Uh, but if it doesn't work out, I wouldn't bring in another college coach. You know, you know, I hear a lot of names floating around, Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin. And I think if you want to build this program back, I would, you know, take a look at, some NFL guys, and I know I'm finna sound so far fetched, but I mean I'm I'm knocking down the door at uh, uh, Mike Shanahan, a uh, 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 Shanahan, a uh, uh, Sean Payton, and I would just throw him a blank check as quickly as I can. 
That's you, interesting. That, what do you, yeah, that's what interesting. Do you, what do you think about a guy like Joe Witt Jr., somebody who, who has that Auburn connection, played at Auburn, and is the well, secondary coach for the for the Cowboys? Well, you know, I'm you know, I haven't met him. You know, I've heard about him a couple of times. I had some buddies of mine who uh played for him a long time ago. Um, but I mean, I can't really speak on Joe, but if you know, if you know, I see the situation. Auburn's trying to win immediately, and 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 that's fine. But you know, if you go out and get rid of Carson, and just, let's say you go get a Scott Satterfield, I mean that's going to take time. And you know, you could have been waiting on that time with Carson if you're going to fire somebody, fire him, and bring in someone like that. That's the only reason I say, hey, well, if you want to contend. And, and get the name, you know, Auburn back to where it needs to be. I'm searching in the NFL level. Now, like I said, I, I don't want to get harsh, you know. I don't want them to leave. But, you know, if that's what you got to do, that's what you have to do. But we need uh, NFL guys, you know, yeah, that's... at this level, at this time and at this level to get Auburn where they need. Because, you know, I don't think we just need to be going back to a rebuilding process once again. So you know, we, we, we were we was there with Gus Malzahn for eight years. And and out of those eight years, I wanna say five or six of them was mediocre. So, so with you know, with what you're saying about Missouri, Missouri winning on Saturday, that yeah. would mean that LSU, who is better than Missouri, is going to beat Auburn as well. Then Georgia, now, I, then Ole Miss if you're two and five at the at the bye, are you firing Brian Harson midseason? At this point, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, honestly, when I seen the Penn State game, um, I said, you know what? I just don't see them bouncing back, right, against Missouri. You know, you lost by twenty nine, thirty points somewhere around there. Yeah, and it, it wasn't it pretty. Very, yeah, it's very difficult. I I'm figuring to. You know, you lose by that many points, and then, you know, your coach asking you, hey, we need to win this game. You know, we ready. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just really think Missouri is going to come down and beat. And, and I'm, I said a 27-23 game. Mm. But, you know, that's how it's going to play out. You well, know, well like said, I, I, ho- a, I hope you're wrong, man. <laughs> no offense, but I, mean, I hope hey, you're wrong, I, brother. I'm a guy hard man, but it, it is just a difficult task. You know, for you for guys to go out there and you know what they showed on the field to go out there against Missouri and uh, be asked to win. And You're right. I just don't. I don't see it. You're right. Like, well, it's it's like Carter says. How do you get up off the mat, right? So, hey, so we got another caller. We got to get to. We appreciate you calling in. That is uh, sad here on the line. Let's head back to the phone lines though. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Susan, you're on the line. Welcome in. Hey, um, I just want to make a comment about D. Davis, and that kind of when I kind of the Brian Harrison thing kind of really um, put me down. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I live in South Lake, Texas, right? Um, when you were, and I mean, we seen D. play. They were in the state championships, and if you know anything about Texas quarterbacks, he was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered why you're not going to give this kid a chance. I mean, he played six A football against South Lake Carroll, and it used to be a, a you know it was a battle. And he knew how to play. He's the he he's the winningest, isn't he? The winningest high school quarterback yes. in Texas history. Yes, 
And so when you think of a Quinn Ewers or, you know, Greg McElroy or, or any of those people, you go, what's the issue here? I mean, Susan, I think that's a huge question in every Auburn fan's mind and the media's mind. Like, where is this guy? I mean, I, we're right there with you. And I think it comes down to it, it's one of two things. It's either an injury that we don't know about or he just doesn't know the offense was, and can't pick it up. It was confusing to me. I remember last year going into that bowl game to not see. There's no excuse not to get no. D. Davis that second half. I mean, I, especially with. It's not like TJ was playing well in that game. I think yeah. I think everything pointed to, hey, put the young guy in there, let him get reps, and then when you don't do that, I think the writing was on the wall, right. and that's and that's why he's at Alabama State right now. Well, and I don't know. Tarson seems like somebody said a ride or die man, and you can sit there on a mountain and realize, I mean, he came from a totally different part of the country mm-hmm. where it's not like here. I mean, we're folksy, you know, we, hey, how are you doing? How's your mama? He's not that kind of guy. And if I was a parent and they came to mind, I don't think I'd want my kid. To go. I just don't think it's been a good fit. And doing things like that really made me question his ability. Yeah, and, and, I, and that's just me. And so that's what we heard early on in his recruiting, uh, his recruiting pitches and the, the backlash on his recruiting tactics was he wasn't that type of guy who was going to come in and win over the living room. Now, he's, he's he would come in as the hard guy and was going to be, you know, the player's coach type of thing. But you're, I, I love your quote. Like, he's not going to ask about your mom. Like, he's not going to ask how your grandma's doing and if she's cooking dinner. Like, that's not who Brian Harson is, I don't think. And he thought that was going to be the game plan to work here, but it turns out it's not. Susan, we appreciate the call. It's great to I hear from you. That was Susan here on the line as well. And uh, yeah, I think between not seeing D Davis last year and not seeing Zach Calzada this year, I think there are some question marks of where are these guys and why are they not getting the chances to to come into the game when it seems like nothing else is truly going the way you want it to go, right? Yeah, I mean, it's puzzling because you, you, at the end of the year after Bo Nix gets hurt, because Bo Nix, I think we can concretely say last year was the best option in that quarterback room, and he was carrying you through a pretty solid season until he broke his ankle. But from that point on, you really needed, you needed to evaluate your quarterbacks when things started to go off the rails. And just so you knew what you had going for the future, because... I think D. Davis going through a spring and a fall, he'd be right there in this in this battle. I, I I don't have a doubt about that in my mind, and it's just it's it's odd to me that he never got a snap at Auburn, and it's just puzzling. I agree, and you know, to Susan's point, she says that Harden Harson seems like the ride or die type of guy, where once he picks the guy, he's going to run with him until I mean until the train hits the wall, right? And I can respect that, and I can understand where you're coming from as a head coach when you pick your guy and you truly feel that this guy, whether it's TJ Fanley or another coach with another player at another school, right? You can understand why a head coach, when he picks his guy, he wants to ride with him and not ditching on him at the very first sign of chaos and stress and failure because if you do that, nobody's going to want to play for you because they're never going to feel secure, okay? I get that. 
But this is not the first time that we've seen TJ Finley struggle in football games. And this is not the first time that we've seen the offense fail to score points in the red zone with TJ Finley at the helm. This is not the first situation and first case of this, right? I mean, this is now a time where Brian Harson needs to step back and say, what is the best case scenario for this football team, for this football program, and, and frankly, for his own job? And can he do that? He's been a coach for way, way, way too long, in my opinion, to be a type of guy that would just ride or die and just run himself into the ground because of this. But you know what? It seems like that's the path we're going on, where he's just going to, he has a plan. That's my plan, and I'm sticking to it, type of thing. And if that's the way he goes out, it'd be sad to see. Yeah, I just, I, the more I sit here, I now, I think with all this discussion about the quarterbacks, I do think it's worth saying that I think TJ Finley was far from the problem Saturday. I think the offensive line, the the game plan, the lack of getting the running backs the football, especially in the second quarter. Yes. And you can try to say people don't sit in on game plans. I don't give really a crap about that, to be honest with you. It's just it's that that that's not that's not how that doesn't matter to me. I just think that T.J. Finley was not the issue on Saturday. Yeah, and, you know, again, it's easy to go at the quarterback, and it's easy to say that he's the problem, but uh, there's a lot that went on on Saturday that was outside of T.J. Finley being the problem, and uh, I think, uh, again, game plan was a big, big part of it. I think he made mistakes. I think he made mistakes. I don't think he played played that well, Uh, but I thought at times, like, he made some good throws, and he made some good plays out of structure. The fact that that was the funniest thing uh, was if you listen to the CBS broadcast, Gary Danielson's talking about how Eric Keysaw sat there in their meeting in their production meetings this week and talked about how TJ Finley does his best work in structure, and every single play he made in the game was out of structure. It was scrambling around. It was scrambling for first downs, scrambling and throwing on a third and what sixteen or something throwing a big lob up the right sidelines to a backpedaling Javarius Johnson. Like, nothing that was successful was in structure. And that's an indictment on the on the game plan, and that's an indictment on, let's be honest, the offensive line. I mean, it's it, they are not scot-free out of this. I hate that TJ Finley's throwing them under the bus on social media right now. That's wrong. But the fact that all of your big plays were out of structure... That, that that means that your game plan is not very good. Yeah, I agree, but at the same time, it may not all be it may not all be on TJ Finley, but I I like how you put it earlier where and where uh, we've had callers put this put it this way as well with the given situation of the Auburn team right now and the structure of this team and the talent level on this team and the ability and capability to play SEC-level football, there's got to be a time where you realize that either Robbie Ashford or Zach Calzada, given with what the offense is right now, they would give you a better chance to win than T.J. Finley because we know Brian Harson wants to have the pro style, step in the pocket, and and go through four or five reads and throw the football down the field type of offense. We know that. You know what you need? What? You need Bo Nix's skill set back. You really do. You really do. His ability to 
to run out of pressure when there's free runners in his face and keep plays alive and then still have a little bit of an ability to throw the football. Yeah. And then if he has to, he can run. That's what, like, you don't have, I mean, that's the closest thing to the complete package you would have in that quarterback's room. And that skill set fits what you need right now. I agree. And so, and, and <laughs> that's kind of where I was going was we know that Brian Hartson wants to run this type of offense, the pro style, stand in the pocket, make your reads and throw the football. Auburn doesn't have that. Auburn doesn't have the offensive line to do that. Uh, Auburn just doesn't have the offense to do that right now. And so that is what TJ Finley is. Okay, he's not a scrambler. He's not a runner. Uh, You could say he's a passer if you want. I mean, he's okay. He's not great. He's okay. But Auburn cannot afford to drop TJ back in the pocket and expect him to make a play. You just can't do it. You're asking him... You're asking him to do too much. Given what the situation is, that is too much to ask of this offense. If you're going to take L's at center and at guard in pass pro and at right tackle, it's hard to put TJ back there with his... Now, his mobility has gotten better, but it's hard with his lack of mobility to put him back there and expect him to succeed in the SEC. Which is why I think at this point, given what the offensive line is... Now, first of all... You've got to run the football more. I mean that that is that is top priority number one. I don't care if you fix anything else this se- or this year or this week rather. You've got to run the football more. That has got to be top priority number one. But given what this offense is, I think Ashford gives you the best chance to win. And unfortunately, that's not on TJ Finley. Not that he's played great. He hasn't played great. But I just don't think it's on him, and I don't think he gives you the best chance to win football games right now. I think Ashford's uh, uh, ability to run and possibly make plays with his legs, he's got to get better as a passer too. Don't get me wrong, but I think he gives you a better chance to win I right do now. Think, I do think you made an interesting point where with what TJ's doing on social media right now, you you alluded to it, but I wonder if he's been told that he's not starting this Missouri game. Could be. And this could be sour grapes on, it, it on could social be. media right? and if he hasn't been told i'm telling you he sees what's happening and i think he probably realizes that and you know what i bet the players are realizing it and i bet some of the coaches are as well let's take our first break in this second hour 334-321-1390 we'd love to hear from you and what you have to say uh we'll have more college football auburn talk when we come back later on in the show trey wallace who covers the sec for outkick will join us all of that and more when we come back here on on the line the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. Auburn Open like a sports leader. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. Let's head to the phone lines. Terry, you're on the line. Happy Tuesday, man. Happy Tuesday, guys. How y'all doing today? We're doing, doing all right, Terry. Terry how are you? Man. Carter tells me we're missing a point, and you're going <laughs> to give it to us. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I'm genuinely curious on what you got, man. Um, coaches have enormous egos. That's fair. And yeah, I think yeah. you guys already know that. And they think because something works one way, it should work somewhere else. Yeah. Just because it worked at Boise doesn't mean it's going to work at Auburn. That's true. Because at Boise, you didn't have Nick Saban across the state and Kirby Smart across the state line. Terry, I agree with you here. I I think I like where this is going. I think I'm. I this is going to be something that I believe in my heart of hearts as well. And Brian Harson is more in love with what he wants than what he needs. 
And I said the same thing about Gus Malzahn because if Malik Willis ever had got on the field, Gus Malzahn would still be the coach at Auburn right now. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. And credit to you, Terry. You've been you have said this for a while now, even before uh, uh, even before Carter was around. When you and I were talking during the summer, you said this. You had this same take, and we are starting to see it now. Can it change? And will he realize that maybe he needs to change some things to keep his job? Maybe, but he might not, and he may just be a hard headed coach like a lot of them are, and believe that it's going <laughs> like to work. Yeah, <laughs> Terry. I mean, Terry, yeah. If, if you want to talk about things that he wants rather than what he needs, well, he wanted his two guys at offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, and those two got circles coached around them on Saturday by Penn State. And Carter, you know what he's going to need? Another job. So that, that, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the bottom line. Because, like I said, coaches have enormous – don't forget that, guys. They have enormous egos. You're right. And the first time somebody, somebody brings up Nick Saban – and he probably has a big ego too. I'm he sure does. Sure he does. We, we, but he's got a reason to have one, does. doesn't he? Yes. He's got a reason to have one. He's won everywhere he's been. So he's got a reason to have one. I just I, look, guys. I've always said, and, and I took some criticism for this. I don't believe Brian Harson is truly happy at Auburn, and I don't think his family's happy here. And, I think and, he's he yeah and, and look it's been such a bumpy ride since he got here like it, I, I would not blame him if he was upset with Auburn because of how it started and then now that Auburn is even more mad at him now I, he's probably not having a good time right now. And I, mean, I don't know if you guys are married or not, but y'all know the old saying: if Mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's you're fair. right. You're That's right. Fair, well, Terry. T- hey, Terry, we appreciate the call. Great to hear from you, man. That's Terry here on on the line. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we're we're finding, and again, credit to Terry. He has been on that since the summer. That Brian Harson. Uh, if is is too much in love with what he wants instead of what he needs and we're going to find out if that's 100% true in the next few weeks because again I think what he needs now is a change something has got to change you're three games in and it has not been pretty something's got to change what he needs now is a change I think he is the change could be I think I think that's because I think he's backed himself into a corner he by making both of his coordinators his guys He's saying, this is, this is the system I want to run. I believe in these guys. I'm putting my stamp on it. This is my program. And then they got worked by Penn State on Saturday. Manny Diaz? Man, man, Manny Diaz, I like... You might see Eric Keesaw have nightmares about Manny Diaz for, for the rest of this season. Because Manny Diaz destroyed him. Especially in that second half. Because... And I think it's a it's a valid point. I think that when you, I, I forget where I heard it, but James Franklin could have looked at at the way that first half was playing out and how that Auburn offense wasn't threatening scoring touchdowns. And when they got up, he probably went over there to his offensive and defensive coordinator and said, "Hey, these guys can't score on us." All we got to do is run the football. All we got to yeah. do is run the football and play play the defense that we've been playing, and we're getting out of here with a win. And sure enough, I mean, you saw a little bit of bad body language start creeping in on the Auburn sidelines, and you saw maybe a little bit of the 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 spirit breaking, spirit cracking there for Auburn. And Penn State just took it to them in the second half. Just as I said, hey, you're the SEC team, but we're going to show up in your house we're going to push you around. We're going to run the football down your throat. And we're our, our running back after this game, he's going to be in the Heisman conversation as a true freshman. We were told that he had to not yeah. happen against this Auburn front. But it did. 
but it did and so again we talked so much about the offense but yeah the defense didn't look good either and the defense gave up 41 points I mean uh, I don't know man <laughs> at this point I just don't know because there's so many ways and there's so many areas where you can point to and say this needs to be fixed and yeah. this is not good but yet you can't fix them all at one time so that's I think that's important too is uh yeah I don't know now yeah, we had a caller say that Auburn's going to lose to Missouri on Saturday if that happens oh boy if that happens Brian Harson's not the coach when we go on the air on Monday you think so yes if you're two and two with LSU Georgia and Ole Miss as your next three games and you <sighs> lost to what one of Man. the one of the three or four worst teams on your schedule in Missouri the worst SEC team you play because heck Western Kentucky, if you put them out there on a neutral field right now with Missouri, they might they might beat Missouri. Yeah, and you're gonna see them. You're gonna see them after playing LSU, Georgia, at Ole Miss, or at Georgia, at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State, Arkansas at home, Texas A and M at home. What's this Auburn team gonna look like at that point when Western Kentucky rolls down? You know what's crazy about this conversation is throughout the summer and coming into this football season, we talked about this five-game stretch for Auburn and how it was the most important stretch. Auburn has to go 4-1-5-0 in this stretch to be successful. And the entire time, myself, everybody gave the Missouri game a W, right? Everybody was like, Auburn beats Missouri. There's not even a stress about it. There's no worry about it. Auburn beats Missouri. It's it's about beating Penn State and LSU. And in the back of my head, I said, is that a mistake? Is this going to come back to bite us? And here we are on Tuesday of game week, and we've already got people who believe Auburn's going to lose. And I'm yeah. not saying they're wrong. We have fans that believe Auburn's going to lose to Missouri. And you know what? It's a real possibility. Yeah, and and I I have said this the whole time. My biggest fear is letting that Penn State game that we saw Auburn lay a massive egg in, letting that Penn State beat you two weeks in a row. Because you're better than Missouri, but you can't score on offense. And I'm concerned. And if you... Because I thought that, that there, was a, there was a situation where if you let that Penn State game beat you two weeks in a row, Missouri beat you, then the whole season craters. Yeah. And we're sitting, oh, it's here, over, and yeah. We're sitting here talking about a three and nine year. Yeah, for the first time since 2012. Mm. What second time ever? Yeah, if Auburn were to lose, uh, we've we've gone we've gone all over the rails on this one. But if, if Auburn does lose on Saturday to Missouri, I don't think he'll be fired yet. But I mean, it, it it'll be on the wall. I mean, it will be it will be inevitable that he would be fired at some point. I don't think if, you fire him after two and two. Not that he's going to survive the year. I just don't think they would do it four games in. But I mean, it probably you tell were talking me, about the me, bye week, though. Tell tell me where the where any turnaround is going to happen if you lose. Like you're, oh, you I agree. Win, are you going to win a game if you lose to Missouri? That's what I'm saying, man. That's what I'm saying. We got a whole, we got a, three more days to talk about Auburn and whether they can beat Missouri or not. But we're going to talk to Trey Wallace. He covers the SEC for Outkick when we come back here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Jacob Goertz on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. 
30 more minutes here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Well, welcoming back Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for Outkick. We had him on last week. We enjoyed it. I hope he did as well. And we have him on every week on Tuesdays now here on On the Line. Trey, how's it going, man? I'm good. I'm good. Getting back in the uh, the, the swing of things of a new week uh, in SEC football after being down in Auburn, uh, you know, for for the past three and a half days. So uh, now I'm getting ready for a game in Knoxville. So it, it never ends, buddy, which uh, I'll take any day of the week. That's right. That's college football season in a nutshell. Well, since you were in Auburn, let's go ahead and jump into that uh, fiasco that happened here in Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday. First of all, how was your trip back to Auburn? I know you talked a little bit about it last week, but how was your trip down to Auburn? Yeah, no, it was good. It was good to get back in town and, and see some old buddies and some folks that came into town and, and lots of Lots of Penn State fans where I was staying at, hotel I was staying at. And, uh, but then, you know, we get to game day. And, um, it, it, you know, Auburn always does just a fantastic job. And, and, and seeing everybody out there and all the orange and, uh, and then seeing the Penn State fans who were, you know, nice and, and decent, in my opinion, and loved the Southern hospitality that Auburn fans showed. Uh, I, had, I had a good time being back. I hated for the fans that were there. They had to witness that catastrophe but but for me it was uh, it was a fun time well trey talking about this auburn penn state game uh it's obviously been the conversation around town here for the last two days or last three days really but what was your takeaway from from auburn dropping an egg against penn state 41 to 12 was the final in jordan hare stadium on saturday yeah they just you know they're they're, they're rushing offense uh first of all they they couldn't stabilize what they were trying to do at quarterback i thought mm-hmm. tj finley um, struggled. I thought he took a lot of hits, uh, which is not good for what Brian Harson and were trying to do on offense. Uh, but I think, you know, the the rotation that you also saw between Finley and then Robbie Ashford, you know, it doesn't help. They're gonna they're going to have to decide on on who's going to be the quarterback because it's somewhat two different offenses when they get in there. Um, I think when you look at it overall, I think what Penn State was able to do on the ground with Nick Singleton against Auburn's front seven. Uh, I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me um, was just their ability to, to break off the big rushes, one for 54, uh, one for 53. Um, he added another, I think it was 65 yards on the ground. I mean, it's just, you know, Auburn just did not play well. And and I, I don't want to chalk it up to talent. I, I think that you know, Penn State is the better football team, but I think Auburn, you know, they're, you know, I, I said it last week. I, I thought this Auburn team was good enough to, to play with Penn State, get it to the fourth quarter, and see what happens. Um, turns out that wasn't the case, and, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, players, you know, defensive players being out of place. Um, you you look at what Sean Clifford, though his numbers don't stand out to everybody, but if you look at the way Penn State runs their offense. Those type of numbers do kind of stand out in a sense of 178 yards passing and, you know, a touchdown or two. So, you know, Auburn just, I hate to say it, just got manhandled. And, and once things started going down the other way, and um, there was, there was to me, it didn't look like Auburn. Midway through that third quarter, it, it, it felt like Auburn had checked out. I know that's not going to be the case with the players, but it just, it just there was something going on with that team that just didn't feel right. Trey, yeah, when when you talk about that game, I don't think anybody expected, not even Vegas, expected that game to go the way that it did. And I think with all of the buildup, 
all the excitement around that that were such a shock value to Auburn fans. How do you see like that impacting Auburn going forward? How do you see their ability to get off the mat? How do you see Auburn fans' ability to, I guess, stay bought in to this year's team? How do you see that playing out this year? See, that's tough because, look, it's college football. I mean, you, and you want to enjoy college football. You want to go hang out at the games and you want to tailgate. You want to watch your team be successful. But the problem for Auburn they're just not that good right now. Yeah, and and, and it's and it's real easy to say. And and, and it, you got a coaching staff that I think half of them are out of place. I think the other half are kind of right where they need to be. And I mean that in a comfort zone wise. Even when it comes to recruiting, um, it just you know, in, t- in talking with some folks around the Auburn program, you know, when I, when I was down there in town, it there there doesn't seem to be that synergy. Everybody going in one direction. Now, look, that could be because you got an interim athletic director and you're out there searching for one, and you don't know what's going to happen with your head coach. But you know, I you asked me what I think. You know, how the the, the fan reaction is going to be or whatnot. I, it, it's going to be tough on Saturday at eleven o'clock in the morning for fans to get up. Some of them make that drive from across the state, you know, of Alabama or or inside Georgia or wherever. Um, it's going to be tough to get up for an eleven o'clock game against Missouri. Especially when it's the fourth straight home game, too. Well, yeah, and that's the big thing, too. It's like there hasn't been a break. Like, you're asking folks to come make these trips for four weeks in a row, and and last weekend was the big one. Like, that was what you come to town for. You're not coming to town for the Missouri game. You're coming to town for the Penn State game. So now comes the struggle of having to get up for Missouri, which, by the way, is a team that can't beat you. And we'll beat you if you do not come out and show up. So I, I Auburn's in a bad spot right now. I, I, I wrote about this earlier today, and it, it's crazy to think it could be true. But but Eli Drinkwitz could have two SEC coaches fired within one year. Last year was Dan Mullen. If Missouri beats Auburn on Saturday, it would not be surprising to me one bit if if they pulled the trigger on Brian Harson. We're speaking with Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Trey, let's get into some other games from around the Southeastern Conference from over the weekend. Uh, What results caught your eye from the SEC? Which teams impressed? Which ones maybe not so much? How about Vanderbilt hitting the over win total (laughs) on the season? How about it? (laughs) Three three wins for Vanderbilt. They get over the two and a half that was projected, but I joke, but that is that look. For is, them to do that, probably. Trey, Trey um, is, is, is this enough to prove a proof of concept for, for, for Clark Lee there that things are going in the, uh, the, the right direction, that they are have three wins at this point in the year? I mean, they're about to be brought down to reality uh, in Tuscaloosa <laughs> on Saturday. But, uh, I, look, when, when, when you exceed expectations, even if they're, they're outside expectations, um, it's Vanderbilt. That's a tough job in general. Uh, we've seen James Franklin win at Vanderbilt before, but that was a different era um, compared to where they are now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, I think I think Clark Lee and them are going to win, you know, one more game this year, maybe two more games uh, to potentially get them to four to five wins. So, we'll see. I, I think the the other game that stood out to me, besides the ones that were close and not expected, like Florida, UCF, or Arkansas, Missouri State. You know, you look at at what and how LSU held 
uh, Will Rogers this past weekend in Baton Rouge. Um, that one really stood out to me uh, for a quarterback that, you know, Mike Leach let's sit back there and swing the football around. You know, LSU got after him, forced him into mistakes. And, you know, now you got the Mississippi State football program and you wonder, okay, which direction are they going to go now? You know, they'll be hosting Texas A&M here soon. Um, and it's just, it's one of those question marks under Mike Leach. Um, that's a game that, and in my opinion, they should have won. Um, they, they, they had the lead. Um, you, you look at it in a sense of passing the ball down the field. LSU just wasn't giving it up. So, look, I guess props to LSU for getting the win. Um, I think, you know, the, the one of the biggest takeaways for me is, you know, Texas A&M beats Miami. Now they get ready to play Arkansas. Here's your test. Because if you're going to turn your season around, you're going to do it this weekend in Arlington against Arkansas. If you lose that game, it's going to be a long October and November for Texas A&M and their fans. Trey, um, Trey, do I, we I really do believe? Do we believe that that Texas A&M performance against Miami is that them getting right, getting back to what we've we come to expect, or is with 265 yards of offense in that game, or is that just putting a band aid on what's going to be a chronic problem for that team this year? No, that's a band aid. You beat a bad Miami team. Yeah, I mean, they ain't going to beat a bad Miami team. You didn't, you didn't go out there and beat world beaters. You didn't do any. You should beat Miami. That should be, but they all, here's the problem: the offense doesn't have an identity right now. Mm. The offense, the offense still looks bad. I don't care I don't know if it's Max Johnson or Haynes King at quarterback. It doesn't feel like either of them uh, mm-hmm. have a flavor of what Jimbo Fisher really wants to do on offense. And you know, if, if Missouri was—I'm sorry, Missouri—if Miami uh, was decent enough, in my opinion, at the quarterback position, that could have been a closer game. But you know. Texas A&M hasn't done anything to, to prove to me that they even are a top-20 team right now. Um, and if they go to Arlington, if they get beat up by Arkansas, which I think they're going to get beat up. Now, the standards of that beat up are up to you. But me, I think it's like a 14-point Arkansas win in that game. And, and it sets the Razorbacks up for a huge matchup with Alabama. But then Texas A&M goes the other direction. I just, guys, to, to put it simple, I just don't trust Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies right now. I think that's how a lot of people feel. And look, a, a win, a, a, a nasty win over Miami doesn't really get me excited for Texas A&M. They got to beat a couple of good teams before I start buying in to the Aggies. But we're talking to Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for Outkick here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Trey, we've been talking about uh, the as of right now through three weeks of college football, the top five teams in the SEC. How would you rank them as it stands right now through three weeks? Oh, boy. Uh, Georgia, Alabama. Oh, man, here's where it gets tricky. I'm going to go Tennessee. I'm going to go Arkansas. Then I'm going to go Kentucky. Um, now, I could flip-flop, easily flip-flop Tennessee and Arkansas uh, right there at the, the third spot. Um, how how, how I, close is Ole Miss to getting into that top five, or that, do they have to prove it to you against a legitimately decent team? See, that's what, see, they would be right there at six. They're going to, look, next weekend is what I, is, is my measuring stick for Ole Miss. You get Kentucky at home. If you beat Kentucky, okay, then, then you're a, you could be a threat. And Kentucky is a team that you can, can match yourself up against. You can see how good you are. Um, because I think, uh, let's not forget, Chris Rodriguez, Kentucky star running back, returns that game as well. So if Ole Miss beats Kentucky next weekend, you can potentially start putting them in that top five round, but it all depends on who's going to lose in front of them. I just, you know, 
personally, I feel like, you know, if, if Tennessee can somehow beat Florida, which I'll never predict Tennessee to beat Florida until they actually beat them <laughs> next year, then I actually pick them. But I, I do think if, if Tennessee beats Florida, you know, that, that's setting up for an interesting month in October for them um, because I do think that they have a really good offense. Um, but right now, that's kind of where my five would be with Ole Miss just hanging out outside of it. Um, it it's going to be an interesting weekend with Arkansas. Um, you know, K.J. Jefferson, Rock Sanders, I kind of think that we're overlooking Missouri State a little bit. I know nobody's going to publicly admit that from that staff, but I think they were. Uh, so we'll see if they can bounce back and put up a good performance against the Aggies. Well, Trey, it's Tuesday. We still have a few more days before Auburn and Missouri play 11 a.m. in Jordan-Hare Stadium. What's your predictions, and what does Auburn have to do well to to try and actually win this game to save Brian Harson and this program for at least one more week? Yeah, I I think it's going to have to be – you're going to go with Robbie Ashford, and you're going to go with Zach Calzada at quarterback. Um, I would not be surprised if Zach Calzada got some reps this week. Uh, You might as well. You brought him in. See what the young man could do underneath the pressure. Um, look, Missouri's got a nice passing game with Brady Cook. I know that they got beat up at Kansas State, uh, but they were hanging in there in the first half. It was close. Uh, and then all of a sudden the wheels kind of fell off. I, I, I look for this game to be a lot, you know, seven points. It kind of feels like that right now, but I think it can go in, in, in either direction. I'm, I'm hesitant right now. I'll just. I don't know if I want to say this later in the week, but I'll go ahead and say it now. I, I think Missouri beats Auburn. Um, I think they beat Auburn 24 to 21. Um, and then we could potentially uh, be, be having some white smoke on the plains this weekend. I just, I just don't know if this Auburn team is going to bounce back after what they went through last weekend with, with the energy, the output, the problems that are going on right now. And do they take Missouri lightly? Because if they do, I promise you, Eli Drinkwitz can draw something up on offense to score some points. Look, Trey, we're getting instant feedback from the listeners. They said we got to let you go. We probably can't invite you back for that prediction, man. I I, I don't know what to say. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's Tuesday. You asked me on a Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who the quarterback is. That's right. Be, That's right. That's right. No, it, it's a tough ask. I just want to see what you had to say. But but I'll, Aubrey, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this though. I'll say this. If T.J. Finley is the quarterback, because I think he is a lot better than what you saw last week against Penn State. If he is healthy enough to go against Missouri, they're going to have a hard time bringing him down, and that's a game Auburn can win behind T.J. Finley. It'll be interesting, though, with how if they have to with the rotating of Robbie Ashford and Jack Calzada. That's why it's hard to give a prediction right now. Right, and so one more thing before I let you go then on that point. Which quarterback gives Auburn the best chance to win? Honestly, I think arm strength-wise, I think just getting outside the pocket, if he's healthy enough, I still think it's T.J. Finley. I, I do. I, 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 I've seen Robbie Ashford twice this season. Um, he's got a nice ball, but to me he gets a little bit hesitant outside the pocket, and that's what kind of slows him down. I think right now it's still Finley, but you know they got to figure out what they're going to do with this spot. And if and if, if Finley's not healthy enough to go this weekend, it'll give Harson an opportunity. Um, I said it. Look, I, I said it over the summer. I would love to see what Jack Calzada could do at a different school. So why not throw him in there and, and, and put him against the fire? We've seen him in games and uh, against Alabama last year and some others where he showed out. Um, 
it's just very interesting to me that they've got three quarterbacks right now, and we're talking about which one is going to start Saturday against Missouri. So that's what it's going to come down to, in my opinion. If it's Finley, Auburn wins. If they got to roll with Calzada or Ashford, eh, I don't know if they can hold up. We'll find out. Well, Trey, this has been a lot of fun, man. We appreciate you coming on. Let everybody know where they can keep up with everything you're doing without Kit covering the SEC. Yeah, guys, I always appreciate it. This is fun. Uh, you can follow me at Trey Wallace underscore on Twitter. Follow uh, everything uh, that I'm writing uh, at outkick.com. And uh, I appreciate all the Auburn folks for having me back home last weekend. I had a great time. Uh, it was good to be back and look forward to hopefully doing it again one more time this season. Yes, sir. Well, look, we'll talk to you next week about the SEC. All right, have a good week. Appreciate it, Trey. Thanks, guys. Yep, that was Trey Wallace here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, talking Southeastern Conference and, of course, Auburn versus Missouri this, uh, this weekend. We'll take our final break. We'll come back, wrap up this Tuesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird here on ESPN 1067. Auburn Open Like a Sports Leader. Big thank you to Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC uh, for Outkick.com. Uh, we've had him on a couple of times now, and it's a great conversation. So uh, we plan to bring him back every single Tuesday afternoon here on the program. So uh, he, he does great work. You have to go check out his stuff at outkick.com. He, he does fantastic work. And uh, uh, look, I put him on the spot making him give a prediction on a Tuesday, but he did say that Missouri will beat Auburn on Saturday. So Doesn't maybe, it feel like that's starting to like settle in as a real that's thing? That's what I'm saying. Like, like, like on, on Sunday, I, if you'd asked me, I would have said, I'm worried. And now, like on Tuesday, it's real. And that's why I brought up the point earlier was before the season started, we were talking about this five-game stretch, and losing to Missouri was not even an option. Like, nobody even considered the loss to Missouri. We were worried about Penn State and LSU, and we've still got a couple of more days to worry about this. this. This is the moment where you decide if there's any fight in this team yep. or this thing is cratering yep. to a point that we did not think was was even thinkable coming into the year. And look, I, I'm going to reach out to Trey on like Thursday or Friday and I'm going to give him uh, give him a, uh, a chance to give another prediction and see what he says. Maybe he'll change his answer. Maybe not, but we'll find out. But hey, before we get out of here, reminder that after the game show on ESPN 106.7, it'll be this Saturday right here on ESPN 106.7 after Auburn and Missouri. Uh, the game's at 11, so I assume the show will go live around 3-ish would be my guess. Uh, Can't just wait to, to be a listener for once. Yeah, so Carter's actually not <laughs> going to be here, but it'll be Jack Hudden, and it'll actually be uh, our intern McKenzie, who's not here today, but she normally runs our boards, answer our phones. She uh, she's going to actually be joining Jack with the after the game show, helping out with that, uh, running the board, answering calls, and jumping on the air a little bit. So really, really looking forward to again the after the game show on right here on ESPN 106.7. It'll be Jack Hudden, the Auburn High sportscaster, and McKenzie Collins. She'll be on the show as well. It'll be right here on ESPN 106.7. They'll provide post game analysis and take your calls live from right here in the ESPN 106.7 studio. After the game, is presented by Urgent Care Clinic. Open seven days a week, no appointment necessary, and no wait time. Get better with urgency at Urgent Care Clinic in Auburn. So that'll be on Saturday, just a reminder of that. But 
And Carter, we've got about a minute left. I mean, tomorrow we have an interesting uh, show teed up. We're going to have Jordan Hill coming on of Dogs 247 to talk to Bulldogs. But we've got an interesting conversation with where this whole coaching carousel thing is going with Brian Harson. So uh, just a little preview of that. Yeah, I think it'll be uh... – with all these jobs popping up open all over the country, and, and now that we are legitimately talking about the the chances of Missouri upsetting Auburn on Saturday, there's a chance that a new one, a new job opening comes open uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. We'll find out. Come back tomorrow, and we'll talk all about it here on On the Line. Another show in the books. Check out the podcast if you missed it. Carter and I will be back tomorrow. Stay safe. I'll talk to you later.